in the dead of night, as people sleep, that is when the spirits creep. As the bell tolls three, dark things take power. We like to call it the supernatural hour. And now, our hosts. So, welcome to the Supernatural Hour podcast. I'm your host, Raven. I'm Rogue. This is Doc. And Chad's here. I should be called Grumpy Raven today. Maybe. Why is that? I'm Grumpy. Maybe. See, no, everyone's speechless. Yeah, we don't even want to say anything. We're all scared. I'm a little scared, yeah. Oh, go. And and we've got Doc. I can be Grumpy. Oh, there you go. You got oh, wow. <laughs> I already took Grumpy. I'll be happy. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we got just... a happy, happy rogue, grumpy raven. I can be sleepy. Doc, and then sleepy Chad, probably. Okay, we've got new names. I scared <laughs> everybody. No now we're the dwarfs. <laughs> Supernatural dwarfs. But there's dwarfs. only four of us. It works. That's, that's probably a good thing. I had to, I, I went Karen on somebody today. I had a Karen moment. We're, we're okay. It's not a Karen moment, though, if it's deserved. She's moving through it. I'm okay. I'm slowly. Ahead. I hope so. Very slowly. Yeah. I, c- I can do a pretty good Karen. Yeah. I did. I actually said, may I speak with your supervisor? I'm like, oh, my word, I'm Karen now. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We got it. it. We got it figured out. I'm good. I'm not good, but I'm good. So for the business, we had our summer event for insiders at rock canyon park and that was a lot of fun thanks for everybody that participated and brought things for the the meal we had some delicious chicken um it was it everything was, was delicious yes every there was not one thing there that was not delicious and, and i tried everything and i'm now like a beach dwell and there was lots of everything too there was so much food and then let's talk about what Rogue took home with her. Crumble cookies, and they were delicious. A whole dozen. <laughs> wow. Okay, well, you know how this works, though, right? The The correct way to eat a crumble cookie is to eat the whole thing in one sitting, the whole thing in like 10 minutes, then you feel sick for five hours like you want to die, and then uh-huh. you recover. Uh-huh. That's the proper... None of this cutting it into fours and eating it over the course of 24 oh, I know. hours. No. When, when you have 12, no, no. you do that, and then you recover, and then you go eat another one. So you're doing it properly. You can get like four a day down. So sick. (laughs) Thankfully, I shared. Thankfully, Nicholas took the took 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 one for the team. Just one. The team didn't want to take. No, we took like four. He. I think that Nicholas ate his fair share. Okay, Um, good. Yeah. Good. So if you are not from Utah and you've never heard of Crumble Cookie, you need a Utah friend. Oh, they've been expanding, man. They're all over the place. They have them in Texas now. Really? Okay, good. Yeah. Okay. Find your local crumble. You need a crumble friend to send you one. Just imagine the biggest, softest, most delicious 25 bazillion calorie cookie you've ever had in your life. This episode brought to you by Crumble. We are not (laughs) endorsed. We are not Not in (laughs) another. I should be, though. Yet. I'm going to call them. As much as I buy, I think I'm sponsoring them. You know what they're going to do? They're going to send me a cookie. Yeah, probably 12 of them. 
the sugar cookie's the best one. And Pink sugar cookie. They'll give you eating one. instructions. <laughs> Whole thing. Just Five open your minutes, mouth. You feel gross the rest of the day. And then, and then, then you one. survive. <laughs> that's They're brutal. A, that's the proper way. Anyway. They're brutal. Sorry. So, so we had a great event. We'll probably talk a little more about that when we get to the investigations. But it was great to have everybody out and spend time with people. And we had a, a great time getting together. You too could eat crumble cookies with us if you become our Patreon. Absolutely. Maybe. And we got to use our new mic for Quiet Grumpy Raven. I wasn't grumpy that night, though. I'm not grumpy often. It's very rare that I'm grumpy. Your karaoke machine. Yeah, it was yeah. great. Yeah. And the Thank patrons you. helped buy that for you. You'll us. never hear me sing on that, though. Thank I will you. tell you that. You're welcome for that, too. <laughs> I had a little listen of my singing moment on our last podcast. That was terrifying. I will never do that again. I'm That's so hilarious. Sorry. It was bad. Really? Yeah. You sang on our last one? I'll have to Just back like one little it. sentence, uh-huh. but it was painful. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> We're working on a September event. We have a date. We have a location. We just need to jump one more little scheduling snafu. So we will have that up on the website soon. And that's looking towards the end of September? That should be September 25th. Okay. And as soon as everything checks out, we'll give you more details. And then we do have one that we did get scheduled. Yes. So we can give you some actual information, and that's Petite Neat school in Payson, Utah. It's my grade school. And that is on October 15th. 15th. And those are both Saturday nights? The 15th is a Friday. Okay, the 15th is a Friday night. And the 25th of September is National Ghost Hunter Day. Did you know that? That's why we want to get it on the 25th, right? Exactly. So. Did you know that today is National Black Cat Day? I actually saw something about that. Did you? Yeah. We've got a striped cat. Does that count? Or do I need... He's a floof cat. Only halfway. (laughs) He's a floofy. Yeah, so October actually is looking to be really busy. We're going to be at the Paranormal Convention up in Logan on October 9th. Then we will have Petitney School on October 15th. Okay, so we've got things going with some upcoming investigations. Check out the eventsparanormal.com events page upcoming events page and uh, it'll be there there will be links to eventbrite for tickets but spooky season is coming and it's always fun yes autumn is in the air for sure that brings spooky season i love it so let's talk about investigations all right so let's go to our rock canyon investigation because that's about the only thing we've had going in the last week Time flies. We actually have two residentials in the works. I'm just waiting for them to call back and schedule it. But Rock Canyon, I've been there twice now, and it's not disappointed both times. What did you think about how it went? When were we there? Friday? Saturday? Saturday. Saturday in comparison to being there in previous times. Um, I think it was a little bit better this last Friday, Saturday. Really? Whatever day it was. (laughs) And what about this time was better than the last time? Because this time, so the first time we went, we'd never been there before. And, you know, so we had some stories that we'd found online of, you know, this, this happened here, that happened there. But when we actually investigated it, we wasted some time in areas where there just wasn't anything. Now, and like gotcha. as most ghost hunting, maybe there was nothing there that night, and maybe the next night it would just be freaky crazy haunted with rocks floating and 
twirling in the sky. Um, but instead, this time we went to the same places that were active the Last first time. time we went. Right. And just kind of got right into it. Yeah. And kind of avoided the places where there was no activity. So if when we go again, because we'll definitely go again, you know, I wouldn't mind trying out some of those other areas again. I'm going to wear better shoes. Just so you know, because we're going to go again. And she really bombed me on the shoe thing. Don't wear tennis shoes at Rock Canyon. Well, she asked if she should wear hiking boots. It's like it's not hardcore hiking. And uh-huh. Just wear closed-toed shoes. And we started walking in stream beds, dry stream beds. and Right, but you didn't dims. come in like stilettos, right? No, I just came in vans. Which no ankle support, like no <laughs> nothing, and we went we went doing some actual hiking. Like they're, I'm wearing better shoes. So, Ro, what did you think of the canyon? I thought that it was very interesting. Um, I think that we learned quite a bit using the SLS. Yes, um, we found a spirit that needed or wanted help crossing over, which I always enjoy helping. That's something that I'm here for. Um, I liked being in an outdoor venue. I, I've liked it in the past. I, I like being outdoors with nature doing our hunts. It's always enjoyable for me. Right. We ran into a type 3 this time that we did not run into the first time we were there. Okay, so you, that's new. Yes, it was new. It smelled like urine. Right, in that little alcove that we found. Yes, and I think it was the same one that was messing with us. When we were in that um, that big area where the car, where we talked about the car being parked, right? Uh-huh. I think it was there messing with us, and then Chuck and Kelly were at the pavilion, and because he was having his back was hurting a little bit that night, so he right. went to you know sit down and rest for a minute, and he said that while he was sitting there, he felt rushed and well circled, you know, like someone was circling him, assessing him, and then he felt rushed, and I think it was that same spirit. I think that type three was checking us all out and what are you doing here and you know messing right. with my space but he's kind of a wimpy type three right but just kind of nosy yeah. he stunk and chuck got some very yeah. interesting uh sls images in the pavilion when we were there next to the urn that was brought that's an interesting about story the urn we have an urn where is the urn oh here on the desk right there just okay. Right? With us. Yep. So let's tell you about this urn. So a member of our team, her husband, bought one of those mystery pallets. You know, just one of those, pay $500 and you get what you get, or fifty two forty six from Amazon and you just get whatever it is, right? I don't know how much he paid for this. But as they're going through their pallet, there's an urn. Show it to Doc. And it's beautiful. I saw it. Did you? You brought it to my workplace, if you remember (laughs) correctly. That's right. They were that excited they brought it in? Oh, my gosh, yeah. Well, no, they brought me chicken because I wasn't able to go to the Rock Canyon event. And so I snuck out real quick over by the helicopters. And I was like, what the hell is this? Hey, look at our urn. Check out this urn we got that's got human remains in it, but we don't know anything else about it. Right? Yeah, pretty sweet, actually. So um, I have gotten in contact with a couple different morticians and I know we're gonna we're gonna take care of this appropriately but for now she's sitting on the desk what is the process is there a process um so the process is if you can't figure out you know where it comes from um basically it's do what you want with it and I mean I had one guy say you can throw it in the trash if you want to but that just doesn't feel right because that's someone's loved one I mean that's a person that you know they lived and had 
happiness and sadness and probably had their Karen moments like I did today. Yeah, and they did. I'm sure they didn't want to end up in a garbage can. So, right. And so... Um, that's not what I'm planning on. I mean, it might happen, but that's not what I'm planning there are on. Days. Those aren't, that's not your dying wish is please dispose of me in a garbage can. So, you know, the answer was you can, you know, take the remains. Um, I guess you can unscrew it. They just screw it really tight so you can't casually, mm. you know, accidentally, you know, grandkids don't come over and, hey, what's in here? So I guess we could really whale it open and go scatter the ashes somewhere. Or we could go take it to um, a mortuary and just say, hey, we found these. We don't know what to do with them. Yours and then now. they'll flush them. But they might say, well, I guess a lot of mortuaries actually have little vestuaries with unclaimed ashes that people don't come and get. And so, But a mortuary, they did say, a mortuary could say, yeah, we did our job. We don't want it. Mm-hmm. So worst case scenario, we'll just go dig just a Scatter somewhere them somewhere or bury it bury or something. It somewhere. Yeah, that sounds respectful enough, I think. Give it a little ceremony. Give it a little bit I can of... play Amazing Grace with my bagpipes. Oh, yeah, my goodness. Like that. But yeah, that's way better than a, the garbage can. Yeah, we're pretty sure it's a woman based on dowsing rods and the fact that it's a floral urn. So Yeah, and I don't know how much you know ashes the average human body produces, but it seemed adultish. Mm-hmm. That's my thought anyway. Yeah, so anyway... That's our urn story. But going by back. shaking it, it seemed adultish. <laughs> it felt adultish. Because our other team member felt that it was youngish and she hey, was well, freaking out that it was. We're talking about small. Doc here. I don't know. I mean, I know. So I'm like, I'm just that's an educated guess size, there. It's a good size urn. It's it not is. like a little one, you know? So I would have thought like a kid's urn would be a little smaller, but yeah. I don't know. This is all conjecture. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> all right. I like yeah, that. I'm not a. I'm not a specialist anyway so powder um, compacts that's right yeah it's funny one of the morticians that i called actually has called me to do several funerals and um our thought process was call two or three and you know get lots of answers and kind of triangulate on you know what is every like the internet you know you read 10 different articles if it says something on all 10 of them you figure it might be you know the best thing so i called this one who calls me a lot to play for funerals and i said hey um, when you have a second, I have a question for you. And he goes, well, that's a strange turn of events, you calling me. And I said, oh, you have no idea <laughs> how strange this is going to be. We came into possession of an urn that was bought online. <laughs> Not a pallet. I, I just want someone's in trouble. Where's Grandma? Seriously. Hopefully anyway. somebody's in trouble. Hopefully. Right. Anyway, but um, the SLS that Chuck got was... Um, a spirit touching the urn and you have to be careful we've talked about this a little bit before you've got to be careful with the SLS because sometimes it likes to try to focus in on a chair or a light or something um, or the this, bushes the bushes but this one wasn't on anything I yeah mean, it was on a picnic table it was on a picnic table, but the head was above the picnic table, the feet were below the and the hand was reaching. I mean, you can if you work with the SLS a lot, you can start to tell when it's trying to make a chair into a person or when there's actually something there. It's so did up. we capture it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Do we have that photo up somewhere or anything? Not yet. Not yet. I have not seen it. Is it going so, on the tickety talks? Absolutely. Oh, uh, yeah. So what else with Rock Canyon? Anything else? I got some interesting pictures that I need to look at again before I send them out to make sure that it's not bugs. But I've got some some interesting streaks on some photos. We had people that were getting touched. 
Yes, we have one of our Patreons that gets touched almost every time he comes out. And Rock Canyon was no different. Right. Right. And it's not just attention-seeking. It's, I mean, you can tell. Oh, yeah, he's it's, sensitive. It's legit. Yeah. He's, he's legitimately getting touched. So. Yeah, so we had fun. Kind of a midnight hike. And uh, and it was breezy. It felt cool. Yeah, it was, it was a great night. It really was. It was, it was nice. It was Once we got rid of the chicken with the wasps. There's a lot. The wasps <laughs> like the chicken. <laughs> The wasps were bad, and they really liked crumble. Uh-huh. Anywhere Everybody wants. likes crumble. Everybody likes crumble. And who doesn't like chicken? <laughs> right? It was they were bad, too. though. Those hornets were terrible. So next time yeah. we go, we'll bring some wasp traps. Yeah. Yes. Or something. Some spray. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. But Hang out to the trap them. Were bad. But they just hung out by the food, so if you could, if you could dodge them to get your food... Then the rest of the night was pleasant. Today we're going to talk about dragons. And I'm actually super excited to talk about dragons. Yeah, you look prepared. you got a stack of notes there. I have six pages of notes. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're going to dragon this thing up. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> oh, jeez. Dragons, from, again, those ten websites... Um, I think are by far the most mythical creature. You ask someone, what's a mythical creature? I think the likelihood of someone saying dragon. Oh, yeah. Very first. Unicorn, dragon, mermaid. Right. Maybe those three. Yeah, I mean, and if you think, you're going to start getting things like hippogriffs and manacores and stuff like that. Yeah. But I think dragon's going to be one of your top two. Two. Because they're on the flags of... British Isle countries. <laughs> exactly. It's dragons and unicorns. Well, the thing I find interesting and about... everywhere else in right. the world, <laughs> yeah, for that I was, matter. I was just going to say, the thing about dragons is it's everywhere. Every culture has them. Um, the Americas, Europe, India, China, everybody. Everybody has dragons. And so that makes you go, hmm. That might mean something. Why does everybody have dragons? And they're not even like going back to a medieval invention or a medieval. They go clear back to the beginnings of... Samaria and Babylon and, you know, all the way back. Some of the very earliest um, things are, are dragons and right. serpents uh, and dragons. Yeah, from what I could tell, they couldn't really say it started here. But like you said, you know, the Greeks and the Sumerians is as far back as it goes. And I would almost wonder China. China goes back really mm-hmm. far. They go back way back. Way back. So I would just throw China in there. Now, I did see one thing that said that was quite interesting is with like the cave paintings and things like that, dragons aren't included in cave paintings, in any of the cave paintings of you know, right. primitive man, that it hadn't uh, evolved into a dragon lore there where you'll see, you know, eagles and snakes and, you know, uh, rhinoceroses and elephants and different things in the different caves, buffalo, those kinds of things. But dragons are not found in cave paintings from prehistoric man. And you can surmise that as you will. Is it because the dragons died out before cave paintings? Did cave paintings come after dragon lore? Right. One of the uh, one of the theories that I came across was that some of these cultures discovered dinosaur bones and weren't quite sure what they were. They just noticed that they're these giant lizard things with teeth. And I don't know that 
primitive man doing cave paintings were doing much mining or anything like that where they would have encountered fossilized bones, right? It would have been a little later with more advanced civilizations when they're mm-hmm. looking for ore and that kind of stuff that they would have come across these. Right, and the word dragon, earth dragon, the word dinosaur didn't even come about until like 1921 or <laughs> right. something like that. Much more modern yeah, term the, for sure. The modern dinosaur is a very modern term. Um, However, fossils have been found going quite a ways back. And like you say, people may have found like triceratops skulls and things like that. And the only way they could explain those would be dragons. Some giant lizard monster. Something I found interesting (laughs) was um, dragons, it ran the gamut. Sometimes they were useful and protective. Sometimes they were harmful and dangerous. But when Christianity really started to blossom, they were the ones that took on... <clears throat> or assigned dragons, you know, a sinister role, mm-hmm. you know, as being evil, and it came to represent Satan. Um, and in medieval times, most of the people knew them from the Bible. And it said that at the time, in medieval time, that a lot of Christians probably believed in literal, actual dragons. And this could go, I think that, dra- my personal opinion, is that dragons were dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. And people can argue with me. People can think I'm crazy. But if you read about Leviathan that they talk about in the book of Jacob, mm-hmm. chapter 41, sounds like a dragon. Listen to this. And I shall, I shall quote. Its back has rows of shields tightly sealed together. Each is so close to the next that no air can pass between. They are joined fast to one another. They cling together and cannot be parted. Its snorting throws out flashes of light. Its eyes are like the rays of dawn. Flames stream from its mouth. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke pours from its nostrils as from a boiling pot over burning reeds. Its breath sets coals ablaze and flames start from its mouth. Now that doesn't sound like the King James Version of Jake of Job to me. Um, I don't know what version this is. New but World Translation or something. Probably. It doesn't say which which version of the Bible it comes from. But that sounds like a dragon to me. Sounds a lot like a dragon. Absolutely. And another biblical reference was the behemoth, which has been ascribed as a dragon also. And there's, you know, more about uh, Leviathan is in Revelations too. Right. Even in Revelation, they talk about the the pit to hell is basically the mouth of a dragon as well. Right. Um, I, I delved a little deeper into the religious aspect for just a minute. Um, in Genesis, it tells us that on day five of creation, God created great sea creatures, and the Hebrews used the word tannin. Um And so this particular person that wrote this decided that this would have included swimming pleosaurs, the flying pterodactyls, which we might have called dragons, <clears throat> if you're kind of on board with me, of dragons being dinosaurs. Um, It says, God made land animals, including dinosaurs and other land dragons, on day six, the day he created man. So this line of thinking has man and dinosaurs and dragons being created at the same time. Um, And so men living with dragons, which would lend to believe how it got spread over the whole earth. If you're living with them, you're telling stories about them, you're passing those stories down to your children and then it gets crazy. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of symbolism with dragons in general, and a lot of that ties back to these Christian references. You know, when we think of dragons, we just think of this raw, natural power, 
right? A destroying power. And when you start looking back symbolically, you know, there's always man being at war with dragons. If you look at the, uh, there's a painting or a famous picture of St. George who's over the top of the dragon taming or slaying the dragon. Uh, One of the things that you'll see pretty consistently is that dragons represent the dark aspect of feminine nature. And so when you look at, for example, uh, women play role as creator, but you can also see them in the role as destroyer. And so there's kind of this two sides to the feminine aspect. The the natural aspect, the ability to create life, those kinds of things. That, that is the, the power of creation, but they also have the destroying power. So you kind of see those two things together. This plays out a lot throughout fairy tales, and it plays out a lot throughout um, like biblical references too, that the dragon is kind of our natural inclination, that, that natural raw power to, to be dangerous, to destroy, etc., Right, that goes back to the word tannin, where in Hebrew it says the Hebrew word tannin is defined by the enhanced brown driver Briggs Hebrew and English lexicon, that's a mouthful, as serpent, dragon, sea monster. It says it probably likely refers to certain reptiles, including giant marine creatures, um, but it can be translated and denoting a dragon, which can potentially refer to dinosaurs, but most likely it means serpent, which is often ascribed to Satan Mm -hmm. and the dark forces. Well, when I'm referring feminine energies, for example, you see this in fairy tales. If you go back to the story of Sleeping Beauty and Maleficent, what does she turn into when she's fighting Prince Philip? A dragon. A dragon. If you look at Game of Thrones and you have Daenerys who starts out as kind of that like positive, gentle, timid, feminine nature, and it develops into this powerful, raw, physical nature. Destroyer. She becomes the mother of dragons. And spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Game of Thrones, it's that nature that she eventually gives into that destroys her as well. Does that right. make sense? Mm-hmm. She yeah, ends absolutely. up she ends up caving to that power, that raw natural power. Um and it's interesting to see these references because generally where women or the feminine nature is kind of perceived that way as being either, you know, positive, creative, gentle and loving or negative, destructive and dark. That would be me today. <laughs> yeah, Karen's, by the way. <laughs> you want to talk about dragons, we got Karen's. Uh, usually the masculine energies, which are, you know, more geared towards enlightenment and adventure and pursuit. Uh, are the ones that usually come in and, and are involved in taming the dragon in all of these stories. Um, Sleeping Beauty, for example, is a really good example. It's just, it's an incredible uh, archetypal symbol that I don't think people get. The whole story of Sleeping Beauty is about parents that are being overprotective of their daughter. They refuse to let her see the bad things in the world, right? So that's why Maleficent wasn't invited to her christening. Because it was one of the bad things in the world. Right, because Maleficent was dark and bad. And so the family, the parents were trying to shield her from the dark forces of the world so she would know nothing about them. In return, when she becomes old enough to become adult age, to have to deal with adult problems, she has no exposure to these things and she essentially becomes sleepy. She falls asleep. 
and is like well, she can't handle it. So she, she can't right. Out. And that's the curse that Maleficent put on her. Right? Was essentially she's cursed to have basically ignorance to this whole idea that there's badness in the world, and it's Prince Philip who represents the enlightenment. Right, that has to come and awaken Sleeping Beauty, that the mind to the realities of the world, and it's that 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 pushes the pursuit into the dark, that leads to overcoming the dragon and leads to. Uh, I'm trying to think of the right term for this, growth, and advancement, and so you know you see that play out in Sleeping Beauty, from start to finish, and the whole moral of the story is you need to teach your kids to deal with hard things because if you don't. There's going to be problems. They're going to shut down. and Yeah, they won't be able to function. They won't right. be functional adults. Right. Uh, and so kind of an odd thing. But the dragon there represents the dark aspects of nature, of reality, of the things we have to deal with that we don't want to sometimes. So I actually ran across something similar-ish. Um, it says the word dragon came from the ancient Greek dracota, which means to watch, you know, suggesting that he's guarding something. And, and you think about it in The Hobbit. You know, the dragon is Smog. guarding, mm-hmm, you know, guarding his stuff. But they're so powerful. Well, and even Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. You know, Harry, they put the dragon inside Gringotts, right, mm-hmm. to protect. But they're so powerful. Why would they need to protect these coins and gems? They don't, they're not going to need money, right? What do they need to pay for? You know, dragon's going to come walking up and hand you a few coins and say, hey, I'd like that. No, they're just going to fry your face off, right, right and take <laughs> it. Why do they need to do that? So it's probably more of a symbolic treasure, not hoarding for the dragon, but a reward for the brave knights that go and slay the dragon. Right. You know, a reward for slaying evil, slaying that serpent, slaying Satan. That's absolutely right. It's, it is that willingness to put yourself at risk, to do things you haven't done, to attempt things that are big and scary that lead to you... Re- in the end, finding the treasure or being able to, to, to get the treasure, you have to go through the dragon. Right. That is a life lesson as well. Yeah, it, and if you think of all the mythical creatures out there, dragons are one of the few. I mean, maybe a manacore and, and um, uh, the names of the other ones are escaping me. Um, but dragons are one of the few. And I think if you were to put a hierarchy, you're going to put dragon at the top of because they can fly and breathe fire. And, oh, yeah. You know. Um, powerful. But a lot of these mythical creatures like trolls, elves, fairies, I mean, they will interact with humans, but you're not usually trying to vanquish the fairy. Mm-hmm. You know. Right. That was a big lightning crash. Yeah. There. We got a, We have a flash flood warning today, so that was... That was a little kaboom-a-boom. That was intense. <laughs> but right, and, and you know, for the most part, when it comes to dragons, most of the time it's an individual that goes to slay the dragon, right? It's not necessarily like, oh, happenstance, I ran into a dragon. It's usually some type of planned event where, you know, there's that pursuit where you prepare and you take on a really big challenge and you get the reward at the end. Right. And, and it's usually an individual situation. Mm-hmm. It's not like we sent the armies out against right. the dragon. And sometimes they will unsuccessfully. Right. Well, I mean, but it takes an individual mm-hmm. to, to actually pull it off in most of the mythology. Like even in Shrek, it was Donkey. <laughs> That's right. That tamed the dragon all oh. by his onesie. Also feminine, by the way. Yes. The dragon. Oh. Um, so we talked about it a little bit earlier, but one of the most... Um, chronicled that we hear about is St. George, mm-hmm. the dragon slayer. 
And what does he do? He comes upon a town. The town's threatened by a dragon. He rescues the fair maiden. He protects himself with the sign of the cross because, you know, the dragon's representing Satan. He slays the dragon, gets the princess. They live happily ever after. Right. And symbolically there, too, you can talk about if the dragon represents nature, St. George represents culture, and this this battle between St. George and the dragon is basically culture versus nature, spirit versus physical, however you want to view it that way. It's about being able to overcome our nature with things like culture. And, you know, by overcoming, it's not necessarily about slaying. People use the term slaying the dragon a lot. A lot of it's about taming the dragon because every one of us, we have a dragon inside of each and every one of us, whether you want to call it, you know, your shadow person or whatever we all have yeah your demon whatever you want to call it we all have that same potential so when we were talking about dragons representing that raw natural power that destructive power we all have power to destroy right and by slaying the dragon or by taming the dragon that's what gives us power as well because we're able to overcome our natural state we're able to overcome our carnal wants in pursuit of more virtuous things, I suppose. But at the same time, you still have that potential to be dangerous, and that's what makes you effective. And the thing I think is interesting about that is the descriptions of dragons vary so dramatically. You can cater it to whatever Mm -hmm. works for you. I mean, some have wings, some don't. Some can talk, some can bring us fire. Some are huge, some are little, some live in the ocean, some live in the volcano. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's such... A variety. Right. Depending on what aspect you're trying to convey, they'll focus on things like the ones that breathe fire. A lot of times people will see that symbolically as passions, right? Fire breathing. So when I was looking into all of this, though, there's five videos that I ran across on the infamous YouTube. Oh, yeah. Of actual dragons. Uh, videos of like ones uh, slithering just in a cave. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe 16 inches to ones that are flying away that are landing on a lamppost. So as you're talking about dragons, you're putting them in a theory of it being us. The symbology of it, yes. Right. Mm -hmm. But in actual, I mean, some people out there believe in a believing that there's a physical right. Mm -hmm. So did you come across any of those videos what do you think about some of that because i mean the one that's in the cave of the little slithering thing that's like 18 inches oh i don't know what that thing is i guess little arms and legs and right i guess it depends on what you're going to define as a dragon right i mean we have komodo dragons right and and then that's the other thing is we do have dragons dragons, if that's how we want to define air quotes right (laughs) i guess it depends on a matter of definition well it's interesting you know people say oh you know fire breathing dragons you know Nothing breathes fire. That's that's garbage. Um, but it's interesting. There are um, there are certain beetles that shoot out a burning chemical. Mm-hmm. You know, and whether that's an actual visual, they light up, or if it's you know just a hot poison, a hot, a hot acid. You know, it burns when it touches you. Right. I mean, you know, things as lore gets. Um, exaggerated and you know if, if you're a big tough guy and a beetle comes up and spits on you and it hurts you're not going to say oh little beetle spit on me no it's going to be a dragon <laughs> that spit fire <laughs> <laughs> the story's getting embellished <laughs> right this giant beetle 
Um, so something I think is is interesting on that along the same lines of fire breathing. Those elements um, come from a lot of medieval depictions of um, of dragons. There's a, an art by a Dutch painter named I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this Hero, Hieronymus Bosch. Hieronymus Bosch. That's what I'm going with. It's my story. I'm sticking to it. Um, and a lot of times these dragons depict hell and the way he draws these um, the entrance to hell is depicted in the monster's actual mouth with the flames and the smoke um, you know being the characteristics of Hades belching out from the bowels of, Mm. of this dragon these aren't sound effects by the way this is real thunder. <laughs> Maybe it's dragons. It could be. It, it could be. Just because that would be weird. That would be Chinese culture with the dragons bringing in the rain. Exactly. Yeah, there's a big focus with water from what I was reading as well and kind of the Chinese dragon myths as well. They're not quite as, not viewed in quite the same negative ways you see in a lot of the Western world or in, you know, the Christian view. Yeah, there's two different real cultural trains of thought there with the Chinese and the Eastern dragons um, more representing wisdom, luck positive attributes they were, the the emperors um, associated themselves with the dragons as a positive thing because the people believed that to be you know, wisdom and and all of the good qualities Um, you know, you hear about the year of the dragon and the different things in the Chinese calendar but, but Chinese culture and, and East Asian, Asian culture with dragons is a lot different than the Western culture with the slaying of the dragon and the dragon representing evil. Yeah. And if you were to say to me, you know, what are the top three cultures of dragons that you think of? I personally would say China, um, Wales. Yeah, Western Europe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know, with the castles and jousters. And then Aztecs. South America. South America. Or Central Pizzi America. Yeah, with I would. Their, with their dragons. Yes, yes, but see, Aztecs all the way down, right? Because if you look at the Maya in Mexico uh-huh. and then down into you know, Guatemala and even further south, so you get more of that Central America. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely yeah. cross cultural, you know, with diverse groups of people that had no contact with, you know, may have little different representations. And it's of not the like they were hopping on airplanes, you know, talking about it with right. each other. I mean, they came up with these all on their own. Right. Well, and, you know, we were talking about with, you know, Eastern or Chinese culture, you know, that's, they had a very positive view of dragons. And then if you look at Aztec and Maya culture, same idea, right? They, these are symbols of wisdom. These are, some, these are, these are their gods, essentially. <laughs> Right. And even, I mean, I go to a lot of bagpipe competitions, right? I'm a bagpipe player. And you don't see this very often, but every once in a while, there's somebody that dresses up in a red dragon costume. Who's you know, Welsh. To represent <laughs> Wales. And they walk around in this red dragon costume. At the Scottish festival. Yes. Very nice. Yes. So do you know the story behind bagpipes? the red dragons? He doesn't play bagpipes. He just wanders oh, around. And I see. Just Wales represented at the Scottish Festival, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know the story behind the Red Dragon? No. I think I've heard it, but I don't remember it. Do it's tell. A, it's a Merlin story. And Merlin was working with a, a king, and they didn't say the name on it. I don't know if it was Arthur Pendragon or, or which, but 
um, he was working with the king and they were trying to build a castle and the foundations of the castle as they were building it kept going apart Merlin was called in to try to determine what was going on and he determined that there was uh, a lake under the castle and there were two dragons there there was a red dragon and a white dragon and the red dragon represents has, has become to represent Wales and the Welts people the white dragon represented the Anglo-Saxons or the, what became the English and they were in a constant battle and be, at the beginning the white dragon became pre, pre, uh, predominant over the red dragon but they said that would only last for a while and the, the myth and the story is that the red dragon will prevail eventually and that's why they have the red dragon on the Welsh flag Okay, I'm going to go off, off the subject here for just a second so the Welch, their national animal is the dragon. Uh-huh. And the Scottish national animal is a unicorn. Oh. Just And they're both represented the, on the Scottish coat of arms. I don't know if it's on the Scottish flag, but the unicorn is it the is, Queen's flag? I think it's the Queen's flag. Maybe it is. I don't know. I didn't I didn't research flag. But but I've I've seen the image of of that and I don't know if it was the Queen's flag. It, it's not the Scottish because the Scottish flag is the blue with the white cross X, right? Right. They don't have their unicorn symbol on, on their flag. On their but national it's their, flag. It's their national animal. That's interesting. Since we were just talking about you know unicorns and dragons are probably your right. Well, it's like, it, best there's there's a creatures. joke where England you know because England's is the rampant lion right and they're like okay you pick one. And Wells says, I'll pick a dragon. Like, it's not real. And then Scotland says, unicorn. And England is like, oh, guys. <laughs> Come on. And England goes, we'll pick a lion. And they go, there haven't been any here for 2,000 years. Yeah, it's, it's a funny <laughs> joke. Okay, back to actual dragons. Well, I was going to add with the, uh, you know, the focus with Central America and that um, when I went down to Chichen Itza in Mexico, one of the things they mentioned is as the conquistadors were coming through. And they saw these temples that were dedicated to serpents. Their first thought was, oh, these are, these are evil. These are satanic. Devil worship. This is devil worship. And so they basically enslaved the natives, forced them to dismantle their temples and build cathedrals in their stead. Uh, and one of the big driving factors to that was the fact that they did have all these carvings of serpents. And, you know, when we were just talking about that Christian view of dragons or serpents, conquistadors instantly associated it with something nefarious or something evil so they forced them to dismantle their temples for that reason hmm. yeah and for a while you know people used the dragon as neither good nor bad but as a as a rally call you know for armies and um, they had decorate you know they used them as decorations they have, you know, they possess protective and terror-inspiring qualities. You know, who wants to be the, you know, the mosquitoes? You want to be the mighty dragons, right? right? And so they were used as warlike emblems. Um, so in the story of King Agamemnon from the Iliad, uh, on his shield he had a blue three-headed snake. Um, and, you know, you go, well, it's a snake. Well, you know, we talk about the snake being the serpent, mm -hmm. the dragons being the... The serpent, and then the Norse warriors would paint dragons on their shields, and 
um, dragon heads on their ships. On their ships. Their Viking ships. Right. This kind of goes back to that idea of taming the dragon or slaying the dragon. It still has to be present, right? If you eliminate your potential to cause harm as an army, you're not very threatening. But when you can control the dragon and you know when to unleash the dragon, you become a very dangerous thing because you can take your raw power and you can apply it with focus and discipline. And you become a much more formidable formidable foe foe when people know this guy's going to unleash the dragon on me. Holy crap. And And in addition to that, there's the psychological warfare aspect of that, of not even the doing of that. I mean, it got to the point with the Vikings that they'd pull into port and people would just bring the money down and say, right. hey, here you go. Not worth my time. Yeah, don't don't, gonna fight don't kill us. Here's here's the money. See you, see you in a year. Right. <laughs> but they adopt that symbol because it's like, hey, I, I control my dragon and I can unleash my dragon right. when I choose. And people respect that because guess what? If they, if they didn't have that dark side to them, they wouldn't give them the money. They wouldn't get the money. They wouldn't win the war. They wouldn't have the respect, right? So you have to learn to tame your dragon. Control your dragon. I kind of wanted how to train your dragon. How to, see? Uh... You learn how to train your dragon, guys. Come on. <laughs> what happened after that? Nobody's going to screw with you when you got dragons. Come on. No. <laughs> so uh, kind of interesting going back to you know the dragons being the feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, little tidbit that I found was in China, in the Chinese dragon lore, Lung, which represents the yang, or the principle of heaven, um, and the maleness in the yin-yang of mm-hmm. Chinese cosmology um, is actually the dragon, and it's the one that was on their flag until um, 1911. That makes a lot of sense to me when we were speaking about Eastern cultures having more of the alignment with royalty and those symbols of good fortune and luck and all that is that they may associate dragons with masculine energy instead of oh, the you know the natural energies or the darker energies that's interesting and then an, an interesting thing i found out it said both chinese and japanese dragons even though they are regarded as powers of the air are usually depicted wingless mm-hmm. you're not going to see wings as much on a chinese or japanese dragon if at all Again, I'm not a... <laughs> a dragonologist? Not a dragonologist. <laughs> but you're right. They, seem, they, te- they tend to be more slender, at least from what I've seen in the depictions. The serpent-like yeah. with claws and, and legs, but not so much wings. Right. Where I think... Except for in Mulan, where they put those little itty-bitty wings on it. <laughs> Mushu? You Mushu? watch so many movies. Every <laughs> single movie you've referenced today. You have no idea. I, I have not watched, no. But I trust you all that you're, you're telling me the truth. Oh, awesome. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to give you a little... I, I, I wrote this down because it's interesting. Sometimes people get really out there. So what happened to the dragons? If you're like me and you think that dragons was just how you explained dinosaurs, then they died. I think they died in Noah's Flood. People believe they were killed by stuff in the... What's the word I want? I'm going Meteors? with the asteroid. We're going with the with a okay. meteor. For I, me. I go for floods, but um, that's what I think. But, but um, that asteroid made a big flood. <laughs> I'm sure it did. That ripple <laughs> effect was pretty intense. Yeah, we're not here to to argue <laughs> theology, but it says there's one fellow who had a theory that land and air dragons would have been taken on Noah's Ark, and probably existed for some time afterwards, based on the descriptions we see in the Bible and artifacts and legends worldwide. 
um, but they died out due in the ugh, they died out due to the curse of sin. <laughs> Rogue's face right now is is priceless. I'm like what? Sin. I don't. I don't. I don't think dragons were on the ark. I'm just going to throw that out there. Yeah, me either. And people say, well, how did they get the stories? Well, Noah. Land dragons. What what were those little dragons we were talking about earlier today? The no. Komodo dragons? Komodo. Yeah, maybe it was a couple of those. <laughs> That's right. Could be. Could Bearded be. dragons. But, but this, fellow, this oh. fellow decided that they died out due to the curse of sin. Did they... Because they were carrying the sins of others? I don't know. I didn't write this. I was about I'm to just, say, <laughs> how did that <laughs> work? They were just like <laughs> sinful. They're like, sorry, dragons. You're done here. You're no good. <laughs> you're you're out of here. Curse of sin. You're done. Yeah. So just sin. So I wanted to touch just a little bit on that most, most civilizations um, have a dragon culture. We've kind of t- talked on that a little bit. But some of the, some of the popular stories... Um, along those with the cultures, as you know, we talked about um, Zeus. Um, he has a, there's a dragon story related to Zeus and him winning the dra- you know, beating the dragon with the mm-hmm. use of his thunderbolts. Um, Jason and Jason and the Argonauts and the Golden Fleece and the there with the Greeks. You've got uh, Beowulf with the Norse um, and the fighting of the dragon there, where he was killed by the dragon and Sigurd again with the Norse. That we've got lots of dragon. Um, stories that are that are still very popular in culture, um, in our cultures across the, um, you know, across the world mm-hmm. in different places. And they're almost always, almost always an individual, like you said, that goes in pursuit to fight the dragon, right? And most of the time, male. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, just symbolically, it's an idea of culture versus nature. Yeah, and it wasn't until the early 1900s that dragons started becoming um, child literature, child friendly, um, being there. And, and you think, you know, a little bit like about that. Pete's Dragon. Like Pete's Dragon. Puff, Have you seen that one, Rogue? Dragon. Have you seen Pete's There's Dragon? Another, another movie, Pete's Dragon. I think maybe when I was younger. <laughs> Puff? Puff the Magic Dragon? Don't make me sing the song. I promised I wouldn't I can sing. Si- I don't, don't sing. Don't sing. Don't, don't do it. She's doing it. <laughs> But yeah, um, and then there was a, a, a book, and I didn't write down the thing, but one of the very first ones that came out in like 1919 or 1910 about the dragon, and it was a little boy about uh, and, and the dragon and St. George, and the little boy, you know, explained to St. George that the dragon wasn't really bad. This dragon liked poetry and was a good dragon. And mm-hmm. It was nice, and St. George actually, they they worked it out with the dragon, and and the dragon faked his own death because ah. the townspeople wanted the dragon killed. Of course, because, you know, he, he's they an were evil demanding dragon. human sacrifice. <laughs> I mean, I'd probably want that thing eliminated as well. No, this was a, <laughs> this was a friendly dragon. But anyway, it's interesting because that was the beginning of more of that where dragons become things where, you know, do any of your kids have dragon plushes where mm-hmm. they have a dragon? Dragons have become very... Yes. Um, we have a giant dragon plushie. And the ownership of this plushie... Is debated. Often debated. <laughs> it's almost like that mentality of, you know, taming your dragon or controlling your dragon is kind of shifted yeah. there where it's like not about utter destruction. It's and again, about, the movie How to Train Your Dragon, 
you know, again, right. the, the the dragons have have moved from that that sinister. Right, they're causing evil a problem for you to now being. Right, it's it's the same thing about our natural desires and our natural potential. Right, it can if you succumb to it, you are going to make bad decisions. It's going to be damaging. They're going to be damaging to you. You know, so that dragon is going to be harmful to you until you learn to control, to control it. it. In which case, you become empowered. You become stronger. It's interesting. I want to throw out just another little thing we've kind of talked about. You know, dragons being serpents and dragons being Satan and dragons being dinosaurs. Uh, there is a, a thought process out there that dinosaurs, or dinosaurs, that um, dragons are elephants or hippopotamus. Hmm. I guess in some translations of the Bible, in the footnotes of Job 40, is listed elephant or hippopotamus when it says dragon but it says um let's look anyways like let's look at behemoth right and talk about behemoth and it describes behemoth um as eats grass like an ox and moves his tail like a cedar with bones that are like beams of bronze um and so some people say that that describes an elephant a hippopotamus or even a brachiosaurus so we it's just a big jump from those two to run, the third, though. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Brachiosaurus could just be a really big giraffe elephant. I don't know. That's interesting. Work with me here. It's really interesting. I can't support that theory. So I, no, I'm, I can't either. Well, I, I, I can accept the brachiosaurus theory, but not the elephant hippopotamus theory. I read once, um, not in the last preparing for this podcast. Um, and I don't, it could have been on the History Channel. I really don't know where this source came from, but it came to mind today when I was thinking about this that way back in the day, that a comet was going through the sky, and the Greeks seen this comet, and they were the first to call that comet a dragon because of the fire and the flames mm. shooting through the sky. See, okay. that's a definitely a good theory, too. Right? It mm-hmm. flies, it breathes fire. Exactly. There you go. It has a tail. So, Chad, tail. you had a little blurb about gargoyles and dragons. Yeah, and so did Rogue. Do you want to cover that, Rogue? No, go ahead. Okay. There's one of one of the dragons, and this is in in Europe. Um, there was a, a community that was building a church, and in this area there had been a dragon that was giving them problems, and, and it was called Gargle. The dragon was named Gargle that they did and I don't believe it was St. George but it was a saint you know someone that had come through a night came through and actually you know defeated the dragon and killed the dragon and so when they built the church they used the the, the gargled dragon for the downspouts of the, the water and that's where the gargoyles come from that's where the, the idea of the gargoyles on the medieval churches evolved was from this tale of the right. the the dragon being slayed and then representing right. being represented on the church and and gargoyles now they use them as a protector protector to ward off right i was just going to say that Evil. we were at um, at the rollins museum uh, last summer we took uh, we took a trip out to um, south dakota and we stopped at the rollins museum in wyoming on the way and in one of the back rooms now, a couple of, several years ago, our whole group, just as a group, went out and investigated there. Um, and I didn't notice this there at that time, but we noticed it just taking the regular Joe Blow tour. And in, was it the cafeteria? Mm-hmm. 
they actually had a gargoyle there because, and I asked the gal about it because I knew that it was there to ward off evil spirits. But I'm just like, hey, what's what's up with the gargoyle? <laughs> right. I wanted to hear her story. And she said that they had a lot of activity in that room. I'm like, yeah, I know. We investigated. <laughs> I mean, not, there, I don't think that. we investigated in that room, but I knew there was activity in the building. So, But they put up a gargoyle. They've, they, there's a gargoyle in the Rollins Museum. There you go. Interesting. I'm going through my pictures of the Rollins Museum right now. <laughs> Looking for the gargoyle. Just to see if I have a picture of it. So here's one more, because I like it when Rogue makes that face. It's kind of awesome. It's that, really? Face. Yes. <laughs> so we talked about what happened to the dragons and you know Noah's Ark, and that didn't go over well with Rogue. Um, the person who wrote this, bless their heart, um, and you know it's going to be bad if you have to say bless your heart, right? But he said, or she, I don't know who wrote this actually, but it said, also man most likely played a role in the demise of dragons as we read in the legend of dragon slayers. Oh. Just all those guys going out and just beating on the dragons. <laughs> there it is. They'd There's still the be face. here if St. George wasn't such a jerk. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, honestly, back to that, you know, this idea of chasing out the dragons or slaying the dragons. The story of St. Patrick chasing the serpents out of Ireland is a very similar mm-hmm. archetype very similar when you look story. at it. It's, it's this idea of ridding yourself of the bad evil dragons. Well, and then this same fellow, kind of he ended his little little blurb kind of on that same thing. He says, we have a very real enemy who is called a dragon. And he gives scriptural reference. His trickery led the human race into sin and he's still deceiving and devouring today. And he's I, referencing Satan, I mm-hmm. presume. Yep. And he says, you cannot defeat the dragon of your own. You need Jesus. I mean, however it is, you are going to defeat your personal Right. Dragons but works for you. Serpents, like I said, they're not always negative. I mean, yeah, the Garden of Eden, you've got the serpent there who tempts Eve. The Telegolgamesh right? back in the Sumerian stuff, same thing. There was a serpent. Right. But, but they eat, like, mice out of your gardens and stuff. Right. But if you look at other symbols, I mean, even in the Bible, you've got the brazen serpent, which was a positive symbol that he could look upon and not die and when be safe. Bitten, right. You know what my favorite snake is? What's your favorite snake? In Ohio, they have um, the Mound Builders. What are their names? What are they called? The Hopewell People. Hopewell People. And they there's one called Serpent Mound, and they don't know really why it's there or what it's there. I've got my theories, but it has no place on this podcast. Um, not a bad theory. It just would be so off This the gets subject. back to the ancient American, you know. Right. But it's, uh, it's just the... To really see it, you have to kind of climb up in this little tower that they've got. Mm. Um, tower is a weird word. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a tower. It's It's got to be 40 feet tall. Platform. Platform's a good word. But you just climb up this ladder on this platform and you can see it. And it's just this wiggly little snake and he's eating an egg. And there's all sorts of theories of what it is and why it is. And I've been there. Yeah, getting it's back to cool. serpents too, which is kind of interesting. Um Part of the reason that some people, you know, have a hypothesis of the the dragons and the snakes is that early primates have always they developed a lot of their motor functions to be able to identify snakes mm-hmm. um, to protect themselves from snakes because that's one of the snakes were one of the very very earliest predators along the um, timeline. Right, threats to mankind. Right? Yeah, and, and we're even talking back even before mankind, like. You know, just right after the dinosaurs with the little furry mm-hmm. ancestors um, with evolution that evolved into mankind. But the, the idea of that they build into that. 
and our f- people have a fear of snakes. That's one of the the primary phobias almost everybody has. Right, is a is a fear of snakes. Even if you like snakes, a lot of people will shudder a little bit when they hold them and handle them, even when they're their pets. Um, and this goes back to it, it. It's it's an action that your brain clicks into and recognizes that threat even before you think about it. Mm-hmm. It's like blinking when something's coming at your right. eye. It's automatic. It's a reflex, essentially. Yeah. And and that's one of the standard things that most people have. And it gets really interesting because when you look at this, in Madagascar, there are no snakes. Mm-hmm. And lemurs, like while all of the other primates have these kinds of reactions mm-hmm. with snakes, lemurs don't. Right. Because there was no evolutionary reason for them to fear snakes. Right. And they they didn't develop the eyesight acuity of ah. other primates because of that. So I it's love really interesting. So if you go back to the story of the Garden of Eden. Okay. Back to your point about not having the eyesight to acknowledge, to, to recognize. To be able to see. It's the serpent who opens the eyes of mankind, right? To, to help them see the difference between good and evil or good and bad and you know from a deep deep way back reference the idea is there that primitive man learned to see and understand and acknowledge good and bad through that exact same development that reflex so i thought that was a really interesting thing where they talked about it and the other one is the idea of the dragon and what it is because the three primary predators um, of early man would have been snakes, raptors, and when I say raptors, birds, mm-hmm. eagles, uh, right. raptors, and carnivores like lions and tigers right. and, and bears. bears. Oh, my. oh my. And what would a dragon be? Hey, let's see. A lot of those look like flying snakes with wings and claws. And can... some of them sometimes have bodies like lions. <laughs> and and it's an amalgamation of these... Of our fears. Yeah. Of these threats. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 it's pervasive in all cultures because it's a pervasive thing for everybody. Because those are the things we're freaking scared of. <laughs> I'm scared of spiders. Yeah, we didn't get that one in there. We probably were eating spiders back then. We didn't care. That was probably lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Yum. So gross. Way to put that all together. We're not scared of spiders. No. All right. I think we're going to end on that note. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, bucket, it's my turn for bucket list. I haven't done a bucket list in forever. All right. I took you to hell last time, so. So this bucket list, though, is a little more ambiguous. Um, I want to stumble upon something that nobody's found before. And I'll give you an example. I knew somebody who knew somebody. It's going to be one of those stories. Mm, friend of a friend. Yeah. It was actually the uncle of an ex-husband, so a little more... <laughs> Even more distant than friend of a friend. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but he lived in the Roosevelt, Duchesne area. And it's called Duchesne, not Duchesne. Duchesne. Not Duchesne? Not Duchesne. Duchesne. And the story goes that he was tooling around out in the desert out there. Where there's a lot of it. Yes, where there's a whole lot of nothing out there. And dinosaur bones. There are dinosaur bones, so maybe there's dragons. But he found this little cave, and inside the cave, 
And he, he swears up and down to, to, I don't know if he's still alive, but to his dying day, to the last time I knew of him, he, he swore that this was true, but he found a little cave, and inside the cave were um, some old baskets of rolled up parchment. And um, some of this, I don't remember everything. There might have been like a couple of baskets of coins and stuff. But he left it and he thought, I'm going to come back here. And, you know, when I've got like a wagon or a car, I don't know what you take out in the desert, a horse, you know, and, and bring this back and, and, you know, delve into this a little bit more. But then he could never find it again. And I don't know if he actually couldn't find it again. Or, or if he just told you he couldn't find it. Told you, yeah. Is he making it up? I don't know. I don't know. But that would be cool. That would be cool to find King Tut's tomb and be the first person to find that or to f- run into that cave that nobody has found yet. Did he and look at any of the parchment? Did he open it up or anything? I don't know. So somewhere in Duchesne is a cave. Is a cave. With a basket of parchment mm. and coins. And that coins. Isn't there like the Dutchman's or... gold in Duchesne? I think that I've went the looking for. Dutchman. The flying no, Dutchman. That's Superstition that Mountains. Superstition Mountains, yep. Arizona. Arizona. Yeah. Is that the Tucson area? Uh, yeah, Tucson. And even kind of south in Phoenix, kind of down through those superstitions are basically on the way down to Tucson. So that, that would be my bucket list. Because I think if you found something like that, there would probably be paranormal activity to investigate. Not bad. So a little ambiguous, but that's that would be my bucket list. There'd be a lot to it outside of just the paranormal activity. I mean, finding something Some like that. That would be yeah. really cool. Yeah. yeah so I'll give you amazing. a little example. Um, not far from my house is a cave called Timpanogos Cave. And I hike it with a friend regularly. And it's a steep hike. I mean, you can take kids up it all the time. You see little kids, you know, with their moms. It's there's there's some drop offs. It's a paved trail. I mean there's lots a, of switch. It's backs. a national monument. Mm-hmm. It's a national monument. You have to get tickets. They're sold out. You gotta get them way in advance. Um, it's doable. Uh, but it, it's not an easy hike. It's about a mile one way. Um, and switchbacks like crazy. And in, in this one mile you're gonna go you're gonna raise like two thousand, twenty five hundred feet in elevation. It's up there. Um, it's a it's a good workout, which is why I do it about once a week. But I got up there one day, and there was a ranger there, and we got chatting with him. And I said, how on earth did someone find this? Who just decided, I'm going to walk up the steep mountain and look for a cave? And he says, well, the story is that he was looking for wood. And I'm like, and there's not wood? There wasn't wood 2,000 2, feet, down feet down in the canyon. And... <laughs> The, the ranger looked at us and he goes, well, that's the story. He says, I think there might have been a little treasure hunting going on in real life. Yeah, apparently, so my wife's, I don't know, great, great, great grandpa was the guy who discovered Timpanogos Cave. Well, he was looking for treasure. Uh, he I was not it. looking for wood. No, there's not a lot of wood right up there. Well, there are, like, down further. Yeah, if, if you know, that's what I'm saying. If you want wood, stay down in the canyon. Who would want to go up, cut it down, and then drag it down the two miles? I can understand it if all the wood below is already gone. Yeah, but it was still there. (laughs) I don't know. The wood story seems suspect. Just saying. So something Hanson. Trying to remember what his last, what his first name was, but oh, I don't remember. I heard he was looking for a cougar. Not a girl. A cougar. He's like, man, I need someone. Let's go. Late forties cave woman, woman. <laughs> a late forties cave woman. That's what I need. <laughs> All right, 
so junk drawer. Last time it was kind of a serious junk drawer. So today I found something a little more lighthearted. Um, y'all know who Charles Dickens is? Yes. Right. And we know that antique mirrors can be kind of creepy. Even mirrors can be mm-hmm. creepy. Yes. And I have a mirror issue. Issue. Yes. One of these days we need to do a new mirror episode. We did one ages and ages ago, but we'll redo mirrors because mirrors are fascinating. They anyway, are. Um, there is a haunted mirror, and it is in the Tremont Temple in Boston, and it's haunted by the ghost of Charles Dickens. Interesting. Okay. How do and we know that? What is the Tremont Temple in Boston? I don't know. It's what the article is says. it a Masonic temple? Possibly. Okay, curious. I'll Possibly. look it up. And all the listeners are like, do, do your research. Right. Okay. I'm going to Google this. Google it really quick for me. So it's a, it's a floor-length mirror, and it originally hung in a room at the Omni Parker House Hotel, and we have been there. We have been there, and they have really good... Clam chowder. Roll chowder. Rolls. Parker House Rolls. That's where they were invented, and that's also where Boston Cream Pie was invented. This has the Tremont Temple Baptist Church. Okay, so it's a Baptist temple. I did not know the Baptists had temples. It's a Baptist church, but they call them temples. Okay, so um, apparently Dickens stayed in the Omni Parker House Hotel in 1867 and 1868. Um, He was, you know, doing a tour and, you know, um, doing public readings of his work, right? Um, and he was particularly kind of caught up in A Christmas Carol at the time and, and kind of pushing that a lot. Um, and people said that when they walked past his room, they could hear him practicing and reciting, and um, probably I should do more of that before I podcast. But um, a lot of people think that the ghost of Dickens is still there and is embedded in this mirror. Um, so, the Omni Parker House Hotel is one of the more haunted places in Boston. And we didn't actually ghost hunt there, and we couldn't get in on the haunted floor as far as staying there. But we went there and perused the halls surreptitiously and ghost hunted. We had our K2 meter. Yes, we did. We, we, we ghost hunted on the sly. Um, and... People say that the par- the Omni Parker House was the inspiration for Stephen King's 1408. Um, and it's a very nice hotel. Right. I would I would recommend it if you get the opportunity. And rumor has it that there's quite a few famous ghosts, which it doesn't really name because this is about Dickens. Um, but the most famous story that involves Dickens is the hotel elevator. Um, there's a lot of ex- guests that say that the um, elevator stops mysteriously on the third floor of the hotel, and that's the floor where Dickens would, you know, pace his room and, and do his um, practicing. Um, but it will stop there even if nobody hits the button. The elevator will just go there. Um, so a lot of people think that the ghost is just heading back to his room. Um they say if you say the words to the Christmas carol out loud um, that he will appear in the mirror and then if you talk to him if you're like hey Chucky then he disappears Um, so he appears in the mirror Um, the haunted mirror actually stayed in the suite in the Omni Parker House Hotel for several years 
Oh, here it says, and then it was transferred a few blocks away to the Tremont Temple Baptist Church. There you go. Anyway, so if you go to the Tremont Temple Baptist Church in Boston, make sure you go to the second floor. If you walk to the very, very end of the hall, you'll see, they say it's a really kind of an unassuming mirror. Um, floor length that's hanging on the wall with a plaque that reads, Mirror from the rooms at the Parker House occupied by Charles Dickens. Look closely and see reflections of Dickens as he practiced a Christmas carol. In the church, they're like, hey, sweet ghost right here. <laughs> that's pretty cool. You don't see that in our churches. <laughs> this chair is haunted by the spirit of Brigham Young. It that's doesn't right. happen at our church. It should, yeah. though. It probably should. That's it would bring sad. in more. <laughs> Yeah, but um, the the writer of the article says, here's hoping that one day the mayor will find itself back in its original home at the Parker House so it can be reunited with the famously haunted suite on the third floor. But apparently it's happy at the Tremont Temple Baptist Church. I mean, they owned it. Like I said, they put a plaque up, so... Yeah, I mean, they did do a plaque. That says, come see the ghost. <laughs> So, I go. love it. Just I was going to say, if you want to visit with Charles Dickens, just go stare at the mirror. Don't talk to him, though, because then he'll disappear. Mm. Just kind of an introvert ghost. Look, he'll, but don't touch. He'll come, but he doesn't want to chat. That's very interesting. Hey, thanks for listening. Uh, get your Supernatural Hour swag at advancedparanormal.com. It's we, school time. Get a notebook. Oh, my goodness. That's right. My kids go back tomorrow. Mine went today. That's awesome. So, yeah, you can get all sorts of stuff. Cool bags, tapestries, mugs, shirts, you know it, all that stuff. And check out our swag. Uh, we've got our sage rollers. We've got some new sage spray out. And we also want to mention, catch us on TikTok, catch us on Facebook, and on YouTube. I'm loving TikTok. She's really loving TikTok. That's kind of a bad What's thing. your TikTok name? advanced.paranormal at advanced.paranormal no it's just I don't know and please follow me I'm Rogue Wisps she is the paranormal groomer I am the paranormal groomer if you've got groomer folks you need to follow her please she's got the cutest little TikToks <laughs> and she puts awesome music to it I try every day need more followers Alright, and then just a little shout out to friends of Supernatural Hour. We've got the Barbary Coast. They've got an amazing little flat iron steak on Thursday nights. Oteo's Utah Freeze Dried for Pets. Castle's Nature Studio. And not only does he do nature, he does portraits, weddings, birthdays, bar mitzvahs. You and soon it. he's going to do our team picks. He is. I just haven't put that together yet. That's I dropped the ball. I it's suck. okay. The I season's suck. coming. I suck. Okay, and then Bore Off-Road Backcountry Off-Road Adventure Rally. I think that's still wrong, but... And let's not forget Rescue Pets Bathhouse. I need to write that on here. If your dog needs grooming, take your puppy to Rogue. She does the cutest little job. They have these Thank cute you. little bandanas. We do. We do. They're adorable. Big shout out to Kelly for helping us out getting those. All right. Stay spooky, my haunty friends. Love you, Nicholas. Have a good one. Hey, good night. You've been listening to The Supernatural Hour at AdvancedParanormal.com. The Supernatural Hour is part of the Radio Ronin Network found at RadioRonin.com. Copyright 2021 by Advanced Paranormal Services.